I love you and I appreciate you. I am so excited about next Sunday. I'm excited about our one church. I'm excited about first service, getting to worship with second service and all of us being together in one room. But I'm, I'm even more excited about the opportunity that we all have and I hope we'll take advantage of to invite friends and family because I think that we're at a, we're at a special, unique, even dangerous moment, don't you? Yes. I, I think that we're at a moment in time where we are, we are desperate for community, where people are lonely and they need family, they need community, they need you, they need Jesus. There are, there are people in, in your life, friends and family, that maybe they used to go to church at one time and because of the pandemic or because of one reason or another, they're not attending and they're not plugged in and connected to. And there are other people that have never had the chance to hear about Jesus. And those people are, are in your life. Your friends and your family, your neighbors, your coworkers, your classmates. And I, I implore you to at least invite them to worship with us next week. I'm excited about that time that we're going to have together if the, Lord, if the Lord wills. I've been thinking a lot this morning, for some reason, about ant colonies. I'm kind of fascinated with, with watching ants sometimes, as long as they're not in my house. I'm not so fond of that. But uh, if, if, you see, if you see a line of ants, whether they're, they're just traveling along the sidewalk or maybe there's a whole colony, you've probably, maybe even when you were a kid, you spent time just looking at them. And I wonder if you've ever just stopped to, to think about those ants and how they're going about their, their busy little lives. They're always so very busy, aren't they? And they're, they're trying to do what everything and everyone is trying to do. Get what they want and keep what they have, right? That's what everybody's trying to do. Get what they want and keep what they have. And, and so they've, they've built pathways and they've built tunnels and they've built systems to get what they want and keep what they have. Not, not necessarily on an individual level. It's not like a single individual ant says, hey, this is what I want, and I'm going to go get it, and this is what I, I, I have, and I want to keep it. But they all, in fact, they're, they're kind of enslaved to one another, aren't they? Because they're all depending on each other, because if this ant doesn't keep getting what he wants and keeping what he has, well, then the rest of the ants, they're probably going to get kind of frustrated because they want to get what they want and keep what they have. And if you've ever disrupted an ant colony, you know that chaos ensues, right? If you were to put something in the ant colony or step on the ant colony or spray something in the ant colony, chaos ensues because now you're preventing them from getting what they want and keeping what they have. Now, it's one thing for us to look at the ants and say, silly little ants, you know, they're busy doing something that, that doesn't really, in the grand scheme of things, even matter. But every single time I've ever been in an airplane and I've flown over a town or over a city and I've looked down, I've thought the same thing. We look like a bunch of little ants, don't we? And when you think about what we're doing in our busy little lives, trying to get what we want and keep what we have. And we're sort of enslaved to the, the, the paths we've built and the systems we've built and the tunnels we've built to get what we want 
and keep what we have. And we're going about our, our busy little lives thinking that this, this that I want, it really, really matters and I've got to get what I want or this that I, I've already gotten, this that I already have, I've got to keep it. And then if anything comes along that disrupts us getting what we want or keeping what we have, chaos ensues, doesn't it? And we can become just as, as violent, just as upset at that which disrupts our systems, that which disrupts our pathways, that which stops us from getting what we want and keeping what we have. And every time that the gospel, every time that the message of Jesus came to a new community, Jesus disrupted the flow of things. The message of Jesus came along and people reacted chaotically. People reacted violently. Why? Because Jesus shows up and he says, hey, hey, little ants, hey, attention, everybody. The things that you're chasing, getting what you want and keeping what you have and the way you're going about getting what you want and the way you're going about keeping what you have, it is destroying you. And Jesus liberates people from chasing all of that stuff. Jesus liberates people from that slavery to getting what they want and keeping what they have. He, he sets people free. But what happens when he sets people free? Well, then all of a sudden, the systems that were set up, the pathways that were set up, the, the flow of traffic that was set up, all gets disrupted and people don't know what to do. Last week, Matt did a fantastic job introducing us to Paul's second missionary journey, and we're going to continue to follow the, the path of Paul as he goes and takes the good news about Jesus to different cities in the Greco-Roman world in the first century. And we're going to notice every week how when the gospel comes to a city, when the good news about Jesus comes to a new community, it, it sort of causes chaos because it it turns the world upside down. Or we might say that the world is already upside down and Jesus sets it right side up. Jesus begins to put things in order. But these busy little ants, they've built their life around getting what they want and keeping what they have. And so when the message of Jesus comes along that says, hey, hey, little ants, the way you're chasing all of this stuff and the stuff that you're chasing and the stuff that you're trying so desperately to hold on to, it is destroying you. It is toxic. You are enslaved to this pursuit of getting what you want and keeping what you have. And Jesus wants to set people free. But people are not always so eager to be set free from that which enslaves them. And so as we go through this message today and the following weeks, I want us to think about that question. Are we eager to be set free from our busy little lives, getting what we want and keeping what we have? And are we willing and courageous enough to share that message with other people, to share the good news about Jesus that can set them free from that which enslaves them, even though sometimes it may cause chaos? It, it may cause people to get very upset with us because we're disrupting their busy little lives of getting what they want and keeping what they have. 
And so we're going to listen to and, and think about the, the, the journey that Paul made to the city of Philippi. Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke, they go to the city of Philippi. And Philippi was a very, very pagan city. In fact, the, the Jewish community there was so, so minuscule, such a minority that they didn't even have a synagogue. Some of the, the Jewish ladies or the, the ladies that worshipped the, the God of Israel, they, they met by the river to pray. And that was as close to a synagogue as they had. So Acts chapter 16 and verse 13, listen to what happens in the city of Philippi. On the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard, one who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. I mean, there's so much every time in Scripture, every time there, somebody is described, there's so much packed into just a few little sentences, isn't there? Here we have a woman who's probably a Gentile woman, but she's a, a God-fearer. She's a worshiper of Yahweh, the God of Israel. And so Paul and his companions come and they share the good news with her. She's also, she's also a woman who is the head of her household. She has a, a business, apparently. She's a seller of purple goods, which are very expensive, sometimes associated with royalty. So I just kind of want us to imagine what Lydia's life might be like. Like so many other people's lives, it was probably very fragile. It might have been fairly comfortable. She, she was the head of a household. Apparently, she was a woman of means, but it was probably very fragile. And don't you know that most of us who realize that our lives are very fragile, and here's a, a woman who's the head of her household, a, a businesswoman in a very male-dominated culture and society, that if anything came along that disrupted the status quo, she could lose all that she had. And, and don't you know that most people, so many people, we are desperate to get what we want and to keep what we have. And so here, Paul is presenting a message to her that has the potential to disrupt her life in a major way. And so the question is, what will she do with this message? What will she do with this message about Jesus that has the potential to disrupt her life and the lives of the people around her? What will she do with Jesus? Verse 15, and after she was baptized and her household as well, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. You see, Lydia did the same thing after she was baptized that the Christians in Acts chapter 2 did, right? And the, the Christians in Acts chapter 4, they had all things in common. They shared everything that they had. And do you see how that, that right there, that is the indicator that a person has really come to be transformed or is starting to be transformed by Jesus, liberated because they're not desperate to get what they want and to keep what they have. In fact, they're, they're doing the opposite. They say, I've, I've got all of this stuff and here, let me share it with you. Not just the resources, not just the physical resources, that's part of it, but also the reputation. Now Lydia is saying to these Christians, these outsiders, these proclaimers of this 
strange message about Jesus. Come and stay at my house. Not only is she sharing her house and her food and her resources, she's sharing her reputation. So now whatever the people in Philippi think about Paul, they're also going to think about Lydia. She's putting her, her life on the line. She's putting her reputation on the line. And you see, this is what happens when you, when you come to Jesus. This is what happens when you're baptized into Jesus. You say, what's mine is yours. Mi casa es su casa. My stuff, my house, my car, my, my belongings, but also my reputation. It's yours. And we're going to have all things in common. No more am I going to be desperate to get all the things that I want or to keep all the things that I have. Now what's mine is yours. And she says, if you have judged me faithful, share in my things. Verse 16, as we were going to the place of prayer, so he kind of steps back in time just a little bit. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. This phrase, uh, spirit of divination, literally means a, a python spirit. And the python was associated with the oracle of Delphi and the, the god Apollo. And, and these slave masters apparently recognized this spirit of divination, this ability to predict the future in this girl, and they oppressed her and enslaved her and exploited her. They, they created a system, a money-making scheme, by which they could enslave her and exploit her and oppress her and make money by it. To get what they wanted and to keep what they had. And so they were using her and abusing her and enslaving her and exploiting her and oppressing her in order to get what they wanted and keep what they had. And the text says that it, it, she brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. Verse 17 says, she followed Paul and us crying out, these men are servants of the most high God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. Now, she wasn't wrong, right? She wasn't wrong in what she was saying, but I'm sure she was giving people the wrong impression. Because who do you suppose these pagans thought was the most high God? They, they probably weren't thinking the God of Israel. They probably weren't thinking Yahweh. They were thinking Zeus. And, and so when she's saying that they are servants of the most high God, she's giving people the wrong impression. Paul doesn't, doesn't want her to be the proclaimer about who he is and what he's up to or, or cause this sort of scene in the marketplace. And when she says the way of salvation, they don't understand what she means by that. And so Paul wasn't trying to cause this sort of scene. So it says in verse 18, and this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her, and it came out that very hour. She was liberated, right? She was set free, no more enslaved to this spirit, no more enslaved to, to what was going on inside of her, no longer enslaved to, to those who were exploiting her and using her and abusing her to make a profit. Now, I think it's important for us to notice that Jesus, Jesus sets us free, doesn't he? Yes, and, and, and as we, we look at this, we might think, well, but that wasn't Paul's intention. Like, 
it seems like he just got annoyed about her, her saying what she was saying. And, and it wasn't necessarily his intention to dismantle this sort of slavery that was going on. I would say that it wasn't his intention to directly dismantle this sort of slavery. It was Paul's intention because it is Jesus' intention to dismantle this sort of abuse and exploitation and enslavement primarily through discipleship, through changing the people who were exploiting her, changing the people who were enslaving her, changing the people who were using her and abusing her. But one thing is certain, that the end of her slavery was inevitable. The end of her slavery was inevitable because eventually Jesus will set all the oppressed free. Amen? Amen. Jesus is going to liberate all the people who are used and abused and enslaved and exploited. Jesus is going to set everyone free. Jesus is going to end everything that hurts people, everything that uses people, everything that abuses people, everything that exploits people. And if people have built systems by which they are using and abusing and enslaving and exploiting people in order to get what they want and to keep what they have, Jesus will eventually bring that to an end. But, but, in the meantime, the way Jesus would love to bring that to an end is by changing the people that are using and abusing and enslaving and exploiting and oppressing people to change those people so that they realize and recognize what I'm doing to this other person. My abuse of them, using them to get what I want, using them to keep what I have, is wrong. Jesus wants to set them free. Not only the person being used and abused, but also the person using and abusing. Jesus wants to set us free right now. Eventually, he's going to set everybody free. But even right now in the present, if he can change us so that we stop using and abusing and hurting and exploiting and enslaving one another, that's the will of God. Look at verse 19. But, but, when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. Like the little ants scurrying around. They're disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. Do you see how differently they respond to the message of Jesus, these slave owners? Do you see the difference between the way they respond and the way Lydia responded? The way Lydia responded in letting go? The way Lydia responded in sharing with others? And the way these men respond? Why? Because they themselves, yes, they're slave owners, yes, they're slave masters, but they themselves are enslaved. They are enslaved to getting what they want and keeping what they have. And they don't recognize that Jesus wants to set them free as well. 
And so when their little system of using and abusing and exploiting and enslaving this little girl in order to get what they want, when their system is broken and they can't make any more money off of her, they are angry and upset. And they said, these men, they're not just disturbing our business model, they're disturbing the whole city. And y'all gotta stop it. Because we can't get what we want and keep what we have if these men keep preaching Jesus. And whether we want to admit it or not, this is what happens when the gospel comes to a community. When the gospel comes to a community, when the truth is laid out, we recognize that we can't accept what the gospel says and what the world says at the same time. The world is telling us to chase certain things, to get certain things, that we can pursue what we want and keep what we have. And the message of Jesus is saying, actually, you're enslaved to that stuff. And it's toxic. And it's hurting you. And some people that are in love with the present world, they're in love with getting what they want. They're in love with keeping what they have. When the message of Jesus comes, they react with anger and with violence. And this is exactly what happens. Verse 22, the crowd joined in attacking them and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. Why why is everybody joining in this attack against them? Because people are desperate to keep what they have. People are desperate to hold on to the way things are. And when somebody comes in and preaches a message like Jesus, it threatens to disrupt everything. And they react with violence. It says in verse 25, About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were open and everyone's bonds were unfastened. Do you hear what they just went through? They were beaten with rods. They were treated horribly by the people of Philippi. They were thrown into prison. They were locked up in the stocks. And what are they doing? Singing and praying. Why? Why? Well, because Paul... And Silas, they already have what they want, and it can't be taken away from them. They have joy because they already have what they want. They're not like ants scurrying around trying to get what they want and keep what they have. They already have it. They have Jesus, so that means they have everything, and they have joy because they know what they have. It can't be taken away from them. A beating isn't going to take away from them what they have in Christ Jesus. Persecution isn't going to take away from them what they have in Christ Jesus. Nothing's going to take away what they have in Christ Jesus. Nothing is going to separate them from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so they are singing and rejoicing and praying. And then, and then the, the, of course, the, the jail is shaken and, and their bonds are unfastened. It says in verse 27, when the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. Now, you you might know why he was going to do that, because he would be sentenced to death anyway by his commanding officers because the prisoners had escaped. But, But why would you be so hasty? Why would you draw your sword immediately to take your life? 
If, if what we're doing is trying to get what we want and keep what we have, what is the jailer trying to keep by taking his own life? I'll tell you what he's trying to keep. He's trying to keep his honor. Honor. And he's afraid, if all of these prisoners escape, not only am I going to be put to death, but I'm going to lose my honor. People are going to think I'm a loser. People are going to think that I failed. And I cannot have my name and reputation be sullied that way. So the only way to keep my honor is to take my own life. He's so desperate to hold on to his reputation that he's willing to leave his family, his household. He's willing to leave them all because he's desperate to hold on to his reputation. Even in death, like a little ant scurrying around, trying to keep what he has. Verse 28, but Paul cried out with a loud voice, do not harm yourself for we're all here. The jailer called for lights and rushed in and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Another life is about to be turned upside down, isn't it? I mean, I'm sure he's thinking, who who does this? Who does this? Who gets set free from prison and stays? Who does that? Who has their bonds shaken apart? Who has the doors open and stays? Who are these people? Who is their God? What are they thinking? What are they pursuing? Everybody wants to get freedom. Everybody's chasing something. And yet these people are set free and they stay. Who are these people? And what's their deal? Look at verse 30. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them, and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. We see the same thing over and over again throughout the book of Acts, don't we? Joy? Joy? Why? Because I received what I really wanted more than what I thought I wanted. And what I have can't be taken away from me by others. Nothing is going to separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And so the jailer has joy now and all things in common. He said, let me share with you. Not only, again, not only his resources, but also his reputation. His reputation. Now he's hanging out with the prisoners. Now he's hanging out with them. He's associating himself with them. He's saying, you're my friends. More than that, you're my family. He shares his resources and his reputation with them. Do you see how he's been liberated himself? He was the jailer, but he was also enslaved. Enslaved, we know, at least to keeping his own reputation. Enslaved to keeping his own honor. Now he's been liberated from that slavery. No longer trying to get what he wants and keep what he has. So my question for us this morning is pretty simple. In what ways are you enslaved to getting what you want or keeping what you have? And it would be really easy. Let me, let me just warn us. 
It'd be really easy to say, I'm not. I'm not enslaved to getting what I want. I'm not enslaved to keeping what I have. But the truth is probably to some degree or another, we are, aren't we? Enslaved to getting what we want or keeping what we have. The slave masters in Philippi, they they wouldn't have thought of themselves as being enslaved. They would have thought about the young girl that they had enslaved. She's a slave, but they wouldn't have thought that they were enslaved. But they were. They were enslaved to getting what they wanted. They were enslaved to keeping what they had. And they couldn't see freedom when freedom was staring them in the face. They they couldn't see what Jesus wanted to do for them when Jesus was staring them, when the message of Jesus was staring them in the face. And they persecuted the ones who were bringing them a message of freedom and liberation. They, They loved getting what they wanted. They loved keeping what they had. And that's one of the ways, that's one of the ways we know is when we're, when we're driven by fear. They were driven by fear, weren't they? They were terrified that what they had would be taken away from them. And by contrast, by contrast, we see people like Lydia and the jailer who after learning the message of Jesus, they have joy. No longer afraid that what they have might be taken away from them. They have joy because they know what they have in Jesus can't be taken away from them. And they have generosity. And they share what they have with others. They're they're willing to let go of it. That's how we know, isn't it? That's how we know that we're being set free from our bondage to our enslavement to getting what we want and keeping what we have is when we have joy And when we have generosity, that we're willing to share and have all things in common and say, my resources are your resources. My reputation is your reputation. You're my friend. And whatever they're going to throw at you, let them throw it at me too. See, but this disrupts everything, doesn't it? It disrupts everything. Are we willing to allow Jesus to turn our world right side up? And are we willing to take this this message to our friends and our family? Not Not just a message about the afterlife. That's part of it, isn't it? That's part of it. Spending eternity with Jesus. Yes, that's part of it. But it's also about the present life. What are you doing right now? What are you chasing right now? What are you pursuing right now? To what are you enslaved right now? And and we need this message. And our family needs this message. And our neighbors need this message. Do we have the courage to embrace this message? And do we have the courage to share this message with others? That Jesus wants to set us free from our slavery so that we're no longer chasing what we want and trying desperately to keep what we have. And we're filled with joy and generosity. If you want more of that, if you're ready to put Jesus on in baptism like Lydia did, like the jailer did, and experience that joy, experience that generosity, then we're ready to help you put Jesus on in baptism. Or maybe you just need prayers or encouragement. Maybe what you're going through right now, you can't walk through it alone, and we want to walk through it with you because what's ours is yours. And our shepherds would love to meet with you and pray with you, or you can come forward now as together we stand and sing this song.